Sermon number 20 by Charles Spurgeon Carnal Mind, Enmity Against God Delivered on Sabbath morning, April 22, 1855 At the Exeter Hall, Strand This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org This recording is by Leighton Garner, Panama City, Panama in january two thousand eighteen the carnal mind is enmity against god romans eight seven this is a very solemn indictment which the apostle paul here prefers against the carnal mind he declares it to be enmity against god when we consider what man once was only second to the angels the companion of god who walked with him in the garden of eden in the cool of the day when we think of him as being made in the very image of his creator pure spotless and unblemished we cannot but feel bitterly grieved to find such an accusation as this preferred against us as a race we may well hang our harps upon the willows while we listen to the voice of jehovah solemnly speaking to his rebellious creature how art thou fallen from heaven thou son of the morning thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty thou hast been in eden the garden of god every precious stone was thy covering the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou was created thou art the anointed cherub that covereth and i have set thee so thou wast upon the holy mountain of god thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee and thou hast sinned therefore i will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of god and i will destroy thee o covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire there is much to sadden us in a view of the ruins of our race as the carthaginian who might tread the desolate site of his much-loved city would shed many tears when he saw it laid in heaps by the Romans. Or as the Jew, wandering through the deserted streets of Jerusalem, would lament that the plowshare had marred the beauty and glory of that city, which was the joy of the whole earth. So ought we to mourn for ourselves and our race, when we behold the ruins of that goodly structure which God had piled, that creature, matchless in symmetry, second only to angelic intellect, that mighty being man when we behold how he has fallen 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 from his high estate and lies in a mass of destruction a few years ago a star was seen blazing out with considerable brilliance but soon disappeared it has since been affirmed that it was a world on fire thousands of millions of miles from us and yet the rays of the conflagration reached us the noiseless messenger of light gave to the distant dwellers on this globe the alarm of a world on fire but what is the conflagration of a distant planet what is the destruction of the mere material of the most ponderous orb compared with this fall of humanity this wreck of all that is holy and sacred in ourselves to us indeed the things are scarcely comparable since we are deeply interested in the one but not in the other the fall of Adam was our fall. We fell in and with him. We were equal sufferers. It is the ruin of our own house that we lament. 
it is the destruction of our own city that we bemoan when we stand and see written in lines too plain for us to mistake their meaning the carnal mind that very self-same mind which was once holiness and has now become carnal is enmity against god may god help me this morning solemnly to prefer this indictment against all oh that the holy spirit may so convince us of sin that we may unanimously plead guilty before god there is no difficulty in understanding my text it needs scarcely any explanation we all know that the word carnal here signifies fleshy the old translators rendered the passage thus the mind of the flesh is enmity against god that is to say the natural mind that soul which we inherited from our fathers that which was born within us when our bodies were fashioned by god the fleshy mind the pharaonimus sarcos the lusts the passions of the soul it is this which has gone astray from god and become enmity against him but before we enter upon a discussion of the doctrine of the text observe how strongly the apostle expresses it the carnal mind he said is enmity against god he uses a noun and not an adjective he does not say it is opposed to god merely but it is a positive enmity it is not black but blackness it is not at enmity but enmity itself it is not corrupt but corruption it is not rebellious it is rebellion it is not wicked it is wickedness itself the heart though it be deceitful is positively deceit it is evil in the concrete sin in the essence it is the distillation the quintessence of all things that are vile it is not envious against god it is envy it is not at enmity it is actual enmity nor need we say a word to explain that it is enmity against god it does not charge manhood with an aversion merely to the dominion laws or doctrines of jehovah but it strikes a deeper and surer blow it does not strike man upon the head it penetrates into his heart it lays the axe at the root of the tree and pronounces him enmity against god against the person of the godhead against the deity against the mighty maker of this world not at enmity against his bible or against his gospel though that were true but against god himself against his essence his existence and his person let us then weigh the words of the text for they are solemn words they are well put together by that master of eloquence paul and they were moreover dictated by the holy spirit who telleth man how to speak aright may he help us to expound as he has already given us the passage to explain we shall be called upon to notice this morning first the truthfulness of this assertion secondly the universality of the evil here complained of thirdly we will still further enter into the depths of the subject and press it into your hearts by showing the enormity of the evil and after that should we have time we will deduce one or two doctrines from the general fact first we are called upon to speak of the truthfulness of this great statement the carnal mind is enmity against god it needs no proof for since it is written in god's word we as christian men are bound to bow before it 
the words of the scriptures are words of infinite wisdom and if reason cannot see the ground of a statement of revelation it is bound most reverently to believe it since we are well assured even should it be above our reason that it cannot be contrary thereunto here i find it written in the scriptures the carnal mind is enmity against god and that of itself is enough for me but did i need witnesses i would conjure up the nations of antiquity i would unroll the volumes of ancient history i would tell you of the awful deeds of mankind it may be i might move your souls to detestation if i spake of the cruelty of this race to itself if i showed you how it made the world an acladama by its wars and deluged it with blood by its fightings and murderers if i should recite the blacklist of vices in which the whole nations have indulged or even bring before you the characters of some of the most eminent philosophers i should blush to speak of them and you would refuse to hear yea it would be impossible for you as refined inhabitants of a civilized country to endure the mention of the crimes that were committed by these very men who nowadays are held up as being paragons of perfection i fear if all the truth were written we should rise up from reading the lives of earth's mightiest heroes and proudest sages and would say at once of all of them they are clean gone out of the way they are altogether become unprofitable there is none that doeth good no not one and did not that suffice i would point you to the delusions of the heathen i would tell you of their priestcraft by which their souls have been enthralled in superstition i would drag their gods before you i would let you witness the horrid obscenities the diabolical rites which are to these besotted men most sacred things then after you had heard what the natural religion of man is i would ask what must his irreligion be if this is his devotion what must be his impiety if this be his ardent love of the godhead what must his hatred thereof be ye would i am sure at once confess did ye know what the race is that the indictment is proven and that the world must unreservedly and truthfully exclaim guilty a further argument i might find in the fact that the best of men have been always the readiest to confess their depravity the holiest men most free from impurity have always felt it most he whose garments are the whitest will best perceive the spots upon them he whose crown shineth the brightest will know when he hath lost a jewel he who giveth the most light in the world will always be able to discover his own darkness the angels of heaven veil their faces and the angels of god on earth his chosen people must always veil their faces with humility when they think of what they were here david he was none of those who boast of a holy nature and a pure disposition he says behold i was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me here all those holy men who have written in the inspired volume and ye shall find them all confessing that they were not clean no not one yea one of them exclaimed o wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from this body of death a further argument i might find in the fact that the best of men have been always the readiest to confess their depravity the holiest men most free from impurity have always felt it most 
he whose garments are the whitest will best perceive the spots upon them he whose crown shineth the brightest will know when he hath lost a jewel he who giveth the most light in the world will always be able to discover his own darkness the angels of heaven veil their faces and the angels of god on earth his chosen people must always veil their faces with humility when they think of what they were here david he was none of those who boast of a holy nature and a pure disposition he says behold i was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me hear all those holy men who have written in the inspired volume and ye shall find them all confessing that they were not clean no not one yea one of them exclaimed o wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from this body of death and more i will summon one other witness to the truthfulness of this fact who shall decide the question it shall be your conscience conscience i will put thee in the witness box and cross-examine thee this morning conscience truly answer be not drugged with the laudanum of self-security speak the truth didst thou never hear the heart say i wish there was no god have not all men at times wished that our religion were not true though they could not entirely rid their souls of the idea of the godhead did they not wish that there might not be a god have they not had the desire that it might turn out that all these divine realities were a delusion a farce and an imposture yea saith every man that has crossed my mind sometimes i have wished i might indulge in folly i have wished that there were no laws to restrain me i have wished as the fool that there were no god that passage in the psalms the fool has said in his heart there is no god is wrongly translated it should be the fool hath said in his heart no god the fool does not say in his heart there is no god for he knows there is a god but he says no god i don't want any i wish there were none and who amongst us has not been so foolish as to desire that there were no god now conscience answer another question thou hast confessed that thou hast at times wished there were no god now suppose a man wished another dead would not that show that he hated him yes it would and so my friends the wish that there were no god proves that we dislike god when i wish such a man dead and rotting in his grave when i desire that he were non est i must hate that man otherwise i should not wish him to be extinct so that wish and i do not think there has been a man in this world who has not had it proves that the carnal mind is enmity against god but conscience i have another question has not thine heart ever desired since there is a god that he were a little less holy a little less pure so that those things which are now great crimes might be regarded as venial offences as picadillos has thy heart never said would to god these sins were never forbidden would that he would be merciful and pass them by without an atonement would that he were not so severe so rigorously just so sternly strict to his integrity hast thou never said that my heart conscience must reply thou hast well that wish to change god proves that thou art not in love with the god that now is the god of heaven and earth 
and though thou mayest talk of natural religion and boast that thou dost reverence the god of green fields the grassy meads the swelling flood the rolling thunder the azure sky the starry night and the great universe though thou lovest the poetic bow ideal of deity it is not the god of scripture for thou hast wished to change his nature and in that hast thou proved that thou art at enmity with him but wherefore conscience should i go thus round about thou canst bear faithful witness if thou wouldst speak the truth that each person here has so transgressed against god so continually broken his laws violated his sabbath trampled on his statutes despised his gospel that it is true ay most true that the carnal mind is enmity against god now secondly we are called upon to notice the universality of this evil what a broad assertion it is it is not a single carnal mind or a certain class of characters but the carnal mind it is an unqualified statement including every individual whatever mind may properly be called carnal not having been spiritualized by the power of god's holy ghost is enmity against god observe then first of all the universality of this is to all persons every carnal mind in the world is at enmity against god this does not exclude even infants at the mother's breast we call them innocent and so they are of actual transgression but as the poet says within the youngest breast there lies a stone there is in the carnal mind of an infant enmity against god it is not developed but it lieth there some say that children learn sin by imitation but no take a child away place it under the most pious influences let the very air it breathes be purified by piety let it constantly drink in draughts of holiness let it hear nothing but the voice of prayer and praise let its ear be always kept in tune by notes of sacred song and that child notwithstanding may still become one of the grossest of transgressors and though placed apparently on the very road to heaven it shall if not directed by divine grace march downwards to the pit oh how true it is that some who have had the best of parents have been the worst of sons that many who have been trained up under the most holy auspices in the midst of the most favorable schemes for piety have nevertheless become loose and wanton so it is not by imitation but it is by nature that the child is evil grant me that the child is carnal and my text says the carnal mind is enmity against god the young crocodile i have heard when broken from the shell will in a moment begin to put itself in a posture of attack opening its mouth as if it had been taught and trained we know that young lions when tamed and domesticated still will have the wild nature of their fellows of the forest and were liberty given them would prey as fiercely as others so with the child you may bind him with the green withs of education you may do what you will with him since you cannot change his heart that carnal mind shall still be at enmity against god and notwithstanding intellect talent and all you may give to boot 
it shall be of the same sinful complexion of every other child if not as apparently evil for the carnal mind is enmity against god and if this applies to children equally does it include every class of men there be some men that are born into this world master spirits who walk about it as giants wrapped in mantles of light and glory i refer to the poets men who stand aloft like colossi mightier than we seeming to be descended from celestial spheres there be others of acute intellect who searching into mysteries of science discover things that have been hidden from the creation of the world men of keen research and mighty erudition and yet of each of these poet philosopher metaphysician and great discoverer it shall be said the carnal mind is enmity against god you may train him up you may make his intellect almost angelic ye may strengthen his soul until he shall take what are riddles to us and unravel them with his fingers in a moment ye may make him so mighty that he can grasp the iron secrets of the eternal hills and grind them to atoms in his fist you may give him an eye so keen that he can penetrate the arcana of rocks and mountains you may add a soul so potent that he may slay the giant sphinx that had for ages troubled the mightiest men of learning yet when ye have done all his mind shall be a depraved one and his carnal heart shall still be in opposition to god yea more ye shall bring him to the house of prayer you shall make him sit constantly under the clearest preaching of the word where he shall hear the doctrines of grace in all their purity attended by a holy unction but if that holy unction does not rest upon him all shall be in vain he shall still come most regularly but like the pious door of the chapel that turneth in and out he shall still be the same having an outside superficial religion and his carnal mind shall still be at enmity against god now this is not my assertion it is the declaration of god's word and you must leave it if you do not believe it but quarrel not with me it is my master's message and it is true of every one of you men women and children and myself too that if we have not been regenerated and converted if we have not experienced a change of heart our carnal mind is still at enmity against god again notice the universality of this at all times the carnal mind is at all times enmity against god oh say some it may be true that we are at times opposed to god but surely we are not always so there are moments says one when i feel rebellious at times my passions lead me astray but surely there are other favorable seasons when i really am friendly to god and offer true devotion i have continues the objector stood upon the mountain-top until my whole soul has kindled with the scene below and my lips have uttered the song of praise these are thy glorious works parent of good almighty thine this universal frame this wonder is fair thyself how wondrous then yes but mark what is true one day is not false another the carnal mind is enmity against god at all times the wolf may sleep but it is a wolf still the snake with its azure hues may slumber amid the flowers and the child may stroke its slimy back but it is a serpent still 
it does not change its nature though it is dormant the sea is the house of storms even when it is glassy like a lake the thunder is still the mighty rolling thunder when it is so much aloft that we hear it not and the heart when we perceive not its ebullitions when it belches not forth its lava and sends not forth the hot stones of its corruption is still the same dread volcano at all times at all hours at every moment i speak this as god speaketh it if ye are carnal ye are each one of you enmity against god another thought concerning the universality of this statement the whole of the mind is enmity against god the text says the carnal mind is enmity against god that is the entire man every part of him every power every passion it is a question often asked what part of man was injured by the fall some think that the fall was only felt by the affections and that the intellect was unimpaired this they argue from the wisdom of man and the mighty discoveries he has made such as the law of gravitation the steam engine and the sciences now i consider these things as being a very mean display of wisdom compared with what is to come in a hundred years and very small compared with what might have been if man's intellect had continued in its pristine condition i believe that the fall crushed man entirely albeit when it rolled like an avalanche upon the mighty temple of human nature some shafts were still left undestroyed and amidst the ruins you find here and there a flute a pedestal a cornice a column not quite broken yet the entire structure fell and its most glorious relics are fallen ones leveled in the dust the whole of man is defaced look at our memory is it not true that the memory is fallen i can recollect evil things far better than those which savor of piety i hear a ribald song that music of hell shall jar in my ears when gray hairs shall be upon my head i hear a note of holy praise alas it is forgotten for memory graspeth with an iron hand ill things but the good she holds with feeble fingers she suffereth the glorious timbers from the forest of lebanon to swim down the stream of oblivion but she stoppeth all the draught that floateth from the foul city of sodom she will retain evil she will lose good memory is fallen so are the affections we love everything earthly better than we ought we soon fix our heart upon a creature but very seldom on the creator and when the heart is given to jesus it is prone to wander look at the imagination too oh how can the imagination revel when the body is in an ill condition only give man something that shall well nigh intoxicate him drug him with opium and how will his imagination dance with joy like a bird uncaged how will it mount with more than eagle's wings he sees things he had not dreamed of even in the shade of night why did not his imagination work when his body was in a normal state when it was healthy simply because it is depraved and until he had entered a foul element until the body had begun to quiver with a kind of intoxication the fancy would not hold its carnival we have some splendid specimens of what men could write when they have been under the accursed influence of ardent spirits 
it is because the mind is so depraved that it loves something which puts the body into an abnormal condition and here we have a proof that the imagination itself has gone astray so with judgment i might prove how ill it decides so might i accuse the conscience and tell you how blind it is and how it winks at the greatest follies i might review all our powers and write upon the brow of each one traitor against heaven traitor against god the whole carnal mind is enmity against god now my hearers the bible alone is the religion of protestants but whenever i find a certain book much held in reverence by our episcopalian brethren entirely on my side i always feel the greatest delight in quoting from it do you know i am one of the best churchmen in the world the very best if you will judge me by the articles and the very worst if you measure me in any other way measure me by the articles of the church of england and i will not stand second to any man under heaven's blue sky in preaching the gospel contained in them for if there be an excellent epitome of the gospel it is to be found in the articles of the church of england let me show you that you have not been hearing strange doctrine here is the ninth article upon original or birth sin original sin standeth not in the following of adam as the pelagians do vainly talk but it is the fault and corruption of the nature of every man that naturally is engendered of the offspring of adam whereby man is very far gone from original righteousness and is of his own nature inclined to evil so that the flesh lusteth always contrary to the spirit and therefore in every person born into this world it deserveth god's wrath and damnation and this infection of nature doth remain yea in them that are regenerated whereby the lust of the flesh called in the greek phronema sarcos which some do expound the wisdom some sensuality some the affection some of the desire of the flesh is not subject to the law of god and although there is no condemnation for them that believe and are baptized yet the apostle doth confess that concupiscence and lust hath of itself the nature of sin i want nothing more will any one who believes in the prayer-book dissent from the doctrine that the carnal mind is enmity against god i have said that i would endeavour in the third place to show the great enormity of the guilt i do fear my brethren that very often when we consider our state we think not so much of the guilt as of the misery i have sometimes read sermons upon the inclination of the sinner to evil in which it has been very powerfully proved and certainly the pride of human nature has been well humbled and brought low but one thing always strikes me if it is left out as being a very great omission i refer to the doctrine that man is guilty in all of these things if his heart is against god we ought to tell him it is his sin and if he cannot repent we ought to show him that sin is the sole cause of his disability and that all his alienation from god is sin that as long as he keeps from god it is sin i fear many of us here must acknowledge that we do not charge the sin of it to our own consciences yes say we we have many corruptions oh yes but we sit down very contented my brethren we ought not to do so the having those corruptions is our crime which should be confessed as an enormous evil 
and if i as a minister of the gospel do not press home the sin of the thing i have missed what is the very virus of it i have left out the very essence if i have not shown that it is a crime now the carnal mind is enmity against god what a sin it is this will appear in two ways consider the relation in which we stand to god and then remember what god is and after i have spoken of these two things i hope you will see indeed that it is a sin to be at enmity with god what is god to us he is the creator of the heavens and the earth he bears up the pillars of the universe his breath perfumes the flowers his pencil paints them he is the author of the fair creation we are the sheep of his pasture he hath made us and not we ourselves he stands to us in the relationship of a maker and a creator and from that fact he claims to be our king he is our legislator our lawmaker and then to make our crime still worse and worse he is the ruler of providence for it is he who keeps us from day to day he supplies our wants he keeps the breath within our nostrils he bids the blood still pursue its course through the veins he holdeth us in life and preventeth us from death he standeth before us our creator our king our sustainer our benefactor and i ask is it not a sin of enormous magnitude is it not high treason against the emperor of heaven is it not an awful sin the depth of which we cannot fathom with the line of all our judgment that we his creatures dependent upon him should be at enmity with god but the crime may seem to be worse when we think of what god is let me appeal personally to you in an interrogatory style for this has weight with it sinner why art thou at enmity with god god is the god of love he is kind to his creatures he regards you with his love of benevolence for this very day his son hath shone upon you this day you have had food and raiment and you have come up here in health and strength do you hate god because he loves you is that the reason consider how many mercies you have received at his hands all your life long you were born with a body not deformed you have had a tolerable share of health you have been recovered many times from sickness when lying at the gates of death his arm has held back your soul from the last step to destruction do you hate god for all of this do you hate him because he spared your life by his tender mercy behold his goodness that he has spread before you he might have sent you to hell but you are here now do you hate god for sparing you oh wherefore art thou at enmity with him my fellow-creature dost thou not know that god sent his son from his bosom hung him on the tree and there suffered him to die for sinners the just for the unjust and dost thou hate god for that o sinner is this the cause of thine enmity art thou so estranged that thou givest enmity for love and when he surroundeth thee with favours girdeth thee with mercies encircleth thee with loving-kindness dost thou hate him for this he might say as jesus did to the jews for which of these works do ye stone me for which of these works do ye hate god did an earthly benefactor feed you would you hate him did he clothe you would you abuse him to his face did he give you talents 
would you turn those powers against him oh speak would you forge the iron and strike the dagger into the heart of your best friend do you hate your mother who nursed you on her knee do you curse your father who so wisely watched over you nay ye say we have some little gratitude towards earthly relatives where are your hearts then where are your hearts that ye can still despise god and be at enmity with him o diabolical crime o satanic enormity o iniquity for which words fail in description to hate the all-lovely to despise the essentially good to abhor the constantly merciful to spurn the ever-beneficent to scorn the kind the gracious one above all to hate the god who sent his son to die for man ah in that thought the carnal mind is enmity with god there is something which may make us shake for it is a terrible sin to be at enmity with god i would i could speak more powerfully but my master alone can impress upon you the enormous evil of this horrid state of heart fourthly but there are one or two doctrines which we will try to deduce from this is the carnal mind at enmity with god then salvation cannot be by merit it must be by grace if we are at enmity with god what merit can we have how can we deserve anything from the being we hate even if we were as pure as adam we could not have any merit for i do not think adam had any desert before the creator when he had kept all his master's law he was but an unprofitable servant he had done no more than he ought to have done he had no surplus no balance but since we have become enemies how much less can we hope to be saved by works oh no but the whole bible tells us from the beginning to end that salvation is not by the works of the law but by the deeds of grace martin luther declared that he constantly preached justification by faith alone because said he the people would forget it so that i was obligated almost to knock my bible against their heads to send it into their hearts so it is true we constantly forget that salvation is by grace alone we always want to be putting in some little scrap of our own virtue we want to be doing something i remember a saying by old matthew wilkes saved by your works you might as well try to go to america in a paper boat saved by your works it is impossible oh no the poor legalist is like a blind horse going round and round the mill or like the prisoner going up the tread-wheel and finding himself no higher after all he has done he has no solid confidence no firm ground to rest upon he has not done enough never enough conscience always says this is not perfection it ought to have been better salvation for enemies must be by an ambassador by an atonement yea by christ another doctrine we gather from this is the necessity of an entire change of our nature it is true that at birth we are at enmity with god how necessary then it is that our nature should be changed there are few people who sincerely believe this they think that if they cry lord have mercy upon me when they lay a dying they shall go to heaven directly let me suppose an impossible case for a moment let me imagine a man entering heaven without a change of heart he comes within the gates he hears a sonnet he starts it is to the praise of his enemy 
he sees a throne and on it sits one who is glorious but it is his enemy he walks streets of gold but those streets belong to his enemy he sees hosts of angels but those hosts are the servants of his enemy he is in an enemy's house for he is at enmity with god he could not join the song for he would not know the tune then he would stand silent motionless till christ would say with a voice louder than ten thousand thunders what doest thou here enemies at a marriage banquet enemies in the children's house enemies in heaven get thee gone depart ye cursed into everlasting fire in hell o oh, sirs if the unregenerate man could enter heaven i mention once more the oft-repeated saying of whitefield he would be so unhappy in heaven that he would ask god to let him run down to hell for shelter there must be a change if ye consider the future state for how can enemies to god ever sit down at the banquet of the lamb and to conclude let me remind you and it is in the text after all that this change must be worked by a power beyond your own an enemy may possibly make himself a friend but enmity cannot if it be but an adjunct of his nature to be an enemy he may change himself into a friend but if it is the very essence of his existence to be enmity positive enmity enmity cannot change itself no there must be something done more than what we can accomplish this is just what is forgotten in these days we must have more preaching of the holy spirit if we are to have more conversion work i tell you sirs if you change yourself and make yourself better and better and better a thousand times you will never be good enough for heaven till god's spirit has laid hand upon you till he has renewed the heart till he has purified the soul till he has changed the entire spirit and new made the man there can be no entering heaven how seriously then should each stand and think here am i a creature of a day a mortal born to die but yet an immortal at present i am at enmity with god what shall i do is it not my duty as well as my happiness to ask whether there be a way to be reconciled to god and to conclude let me remind you and it is in the text after all that this change must be worked by a power beyond your own an enemy may possibly make himself a friend but enmity cannot if it be but an adjunct of his nature to be an enemy he may change himself into a friend but if it is the very essence of his existence to be enmity positive enmity enmity cannot change itself nor there must be something done more than we can accomplish this is just what is forgotten in these days we must have more preaching of the holy spirit if we are to have more conversion work i tell you sirs if you change yourself and make yourself better and better and better a thousand times you will never be good enough for heaven till god's spirit has laid hand upon you till he has renewed the heart till he has purified the soul till he has changed the entire spirit and new made the man there can be no entering heaven how seriously then should each stand and think here am i a creature of a day a mortal born to die but yet an immortal at present i am at enmity with god what shall i do is it not my duty as well as my happiness 
to ask whether there be a way to be reconciled to God. O weary slaves of sin, are not your ways the paths of folly? Is it wisdom? O my fellow creatures, is it wisdom to hate your Creator? Is it wisdom to stand in opposition against Him? Is it prudent to despise the riches of His grace? If it be wisdom, it is hell's wisdom. If it be wisdom, it is a wisdom which is folly with God. O may God grant you that you may turn unto Jesus with full purpose of heart. He is the ambassador. He it is who can make peace through his blood. And though you came in here an enemy, it is possible you may go out through that door a friend yet, if you can but look to Jesus Christ, the brazen serpent which was lifted up. And now, it may be, some of you are convinced of sin by the Holy Spirit. I will now proclaim to you the way of salvation. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Behold, O trembling penitent, the means of thy deliverance. Turn thy tearful eye to yonder mount of Calvary. See the victim of justice the sacrifice of atonement for your transgression. View the Savior in his agonies, with streams of blood purchasing thy soul, and with intensest agonies enduring thy punishment. He died for thee, if now thou dost confess thy guilt. O come, thou condemned one, self-condemned, and turn thy eye this way, for one look will save. Sinner, thou art bitten. Look, it is not but look, it is simply look. If thou canst but look to Jesus, thou art safe. Hear the voice of the Redeemer. Look unto me, and be ye saved. Look, 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 O guilty souls. Venture on him. Venture wholly. Let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. May my beloved Master help you to come to him and draw you to his Son. For Jesus' sake, amen and amen. End of Charles Spurgeon's sermon number 20, 1855. The carnal mind is enmity against God.